uh, we are doing lesson number 11 in our quarterly Present Truth in Deuteronomy, and the title is Deuteronomy in the Later Writings. The memory text is Deuteronomy 10.15, which says, The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. What does this mean, the Lord delighted only in the ancestors of the Jewish people? Only. Doesn't he love all human beings? Yeah, he delighted only in your fathers to love them. That's what it says. Doesn't he love all of us? So how do we understand that? Is it about God's attitude toward human beings? God's heart's affection for human beings? Or is it about how love functions? It's talking about love functionally. Can love, can you pour love into someone who is hardened against you? You can love them in your heart, but you can't let your love bless them and resource them and invest in them if they're alienated from you. So, I think this is speaking about not God's attitude, but about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who had that trust relationship and allowed God's love to work in them. He loved them and then called through them or worked through them the purpose of the Genesis 3.15 promise. The seed of the woman's coming to crush the serpent's head. It's coming through these people. God's love could be manifested in them and through their uh, descendants to bring forth the Messiah. Sunday's lesson focuses our attention on King Josiah, grandson of Manasseh, who took the throne at age eight and initiated religious reform when the book of the law, most likely Deuteronomy, was discovered. And as we've discussed before, not only is the Old Testament the record of historical events, real people doing real things through history, it also serves as object lessons to the larger um, great controversy reality, teaching us lessons about the war between Christ and Satan. And so if we think about the events in Josiah's time, how the law being rediscovered led to reformation in the battle between Christ and Satan for hearts and minds, let's see if we can't apply those lessons in what's going on in the world in our lives today. And let's do that as we look at the commentary on Josiah's life from the book Prophets and Kings. And we will just work through some of this commentary and see if there's lessons for us today. This is starting in Prophets and Kings, page 384. With the ascension of Josiah to the throne, where he was to rule for 31 years, those who had maintained the purity of their faith began to hope that the downward course of the kingdom was checked. For the new king, though only eight years old, feared God, and from the very beginning did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father. Our faithful people today hoping for someone or something to check the downward course of events. <laughs> Do we find the similarity there, the faithful hoping? Born of a wicked king, beset with temptation to follow his father's footsteps, uh, with few counselors to encourage him in the right way, Josiah nevertheless was true to the God of Israel. Warned by the errors of past generations, he chose to do right. Instead of descending into the low levels of sin and degradation to which his father and grandfather had fallen, he turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. As one who was to occupy a position of trust, he resolved to obey the instructions that had been given him for the guidance of Israel's rulers. 
and to and his obedience made it possible for God to use him as a vessel unto honor. Is there a lesson for us in, in, in his approach here? For our church? Notice, despite the errors of past generations, he did not give in to the patterns of behavior of the previous leadership. Do we have a responsibility not to accept the views, beliefs, traditions, practices of previous generations, even our own fathers and grandfathers, but to study God's word for ourselves, to understand God's duty for our lives, for ourselves, to choose to fulfill what God would have us do in governance of ourselves for ourselves. We have to understand that and not simply repeat and practice what our ancestors have done. Is truth unfolding? An infinite God, we're finite beings, how big is the gap? It's an infinite gap. When do we ever become God? When do we ever stop advancing? Are we advancing as a generation to generation, moving forward in the truth, or are we clinging to truths taught 100, 200, 300, 500 years ago and teaching them as if that's truth for today? Continue with the quote. At the time Josiah began to rule... And for many years before, the true-hearted in Judah were questioning whether God's promises to ancient Israel could ever be fulfilled. From a human point of view, the divine purpose for the chosen nation seemed almost impossible to accomplish. Do many Christians today question God's promises? Are many asking the question, where is the promised coming From a human point of view, does it seem nearly impossible to bring the gospel to the world? That every nation, kindred people will hear the true message and make a decision. It almost seems impossible for the promises to be fulfilled. Continue with the quote. The apostasy of former centuries had gathered strength. It's not just there was apostasy, it's gathering strength, it's getting worse. While the passing, with the passing years, ten of the tribes had been scattered among the heathen. Only the tribes of Judah and Benjamin remained, and even these now seemed on the verge of moral and national ruin. Has the apostasy of the Christian church grown or strengthened with years? Do we seem on the verge of moral and national ruin? Do you see? This is not just history. These are lessons for us. All right, continue on. The prophets had begun to foretell the utter destruction of the fair city, where stood the temple built by Solomon, and where all their earthly hopes of national greatness had centered. Have some of us been foretelling of the apostasy of the principles of liberty of conscience, the erosion of civil liberties, of the abuse of powers and the support of this abuse, not just by politicians, but by religious leaders. Have some of us been telling this? Churches have begun to support discrimination of people based on vaccine status, not health status, vaccine status. Some churches are refusing religious services. Some nations are locking unvaccinated people into their homes, denying them basic civil liberties. In Revelation 17, 
The woman on the scarlet beast is described as a prostitute or a whore. What's the difference between a prostitute, whore, and an adulteress? Oh, an adulteress gives her heart to someone other than her husband. She falls in love and betrays her first love for love for another. She betrays it by falling. So the adulteress, remember, in Scripture, a woman represents the church. A virtuous woman in white clothes, pure, represents the true church, those loyal to her husband, Christ. An adulteress represents someone who claims to be the wife or the bride of Christ, but whose heart is actually loyal to someone other than Christ. So this would be people who claim to be Christian, but really believe in heart it's right to practice beastly methods. It's right to coerce, to compel. Uh, that they, This is who they love, and they love, love these methods, but they call themselves, they're the adulteress. The prostitute or the whore, though, are those who claim to be Christian, they don't believe in the methods of cursing. They wouldn't initiate it themselves. But they go along and they practice those methods for pay. This would be a Christian organization. Can you think of examples of what that might look like before I tell you some thoughts I have? What that might that look like in society? Christian organization who doesn't actually believe and wouldn't of their own volition initiate coercive methods to compel consciences of people, but will go ahead and do it for money. Well, how about a Christian healthcare system that wouldn't have initiated com- compelling mandated vaccines on their employees, but do it so they can get their Medicare money? If you're a Christian healthcare organization and you're vac- mandating vaccines, firing your employees so that you can get your Medicare money, you're the whore of revelation. You have betrayed your trust. Is there a softer way to put that? Softer way to put that? <laughs> I was purposely being a little bit, uh, a little bit antagonistic. To, but no, think, think this through with me. The safest people in our society for COVID transmission are the unvaccinated COVID recovered. If you're an unvaccinated COVID recovered, you have over 50, you have antibodies to over 50 sites on the COVID virus, on the SARS-CoV virus. If over 50 sites, your body can now attack the virus. If you're, and if you're a COVID recovered person, unvaccinated, you have IgG and IgM antibodies circulating in your system and you have IgA antibodies in your mucous membranes. CDC, less than two weeks ago, was forced in an, uh, in an inquiry to admit that there hasn't been one case that they can document of a COVID-recovered person transmitting COVID to another patient, SARS-CoV-2 to another, to another person, not one. Safest people in society, unvaccinated, COVID-recovered. The most dangerous spreaders in our society are the vaccinated. Why would that be the case? If you're vaccinated, you get IgG and IgM antibodies in your system, but you don't get any IgA antibodies on your mucous membranes. According to the CDC and the producers of the vaccine, the FDA and, and the manufacturers, the vaccines are not designed to prevent transmission or infection. They're designed to pre- reduce symptomology or seriousness of illness. So when they get infected, they, have, they don't have any IgA antibodies in the mucous membrane, so they get infected, and it reproduces on their oral pharynx and their, and their bronchial tree and so forth. When it crosses into the bloodstream, they have IgG and IgM antibodies that reduce symptomology. They don't get sick. They may not know they're sick. They will continue to walk around and go to work and go places, and because it's on their, uh, on their mucus, they spread it. 
The unvaccinated, unrecovered, when they get it, they actually get sick like we've always done. And you call grandma and grandma, I got a fever. I'm not feeling good. I'm going to stay home. I'm going to call in sick door because I've actually got symptoms so I don't spread it. Understand the reality of what's happening. We live in a pandemic of the vaccinated. Not only that, they only have uh, antibodies to the, I, to the spike protein, not to the 50 other places on the... So when it mutates, and there's, you've heard the news this week, there's a new variant. We've got to shut everything down again. There's 10 mutations in this new variant. Do you know where all 10 mutations are, are located? On the spike protein. So the COVID recovered really have nothing to worry about. They'll be protected. As so far, 23 variants have been identified, and all 23 variants the COVID recovered are immune from because it can't mutate on 50 different places at once. But they're not informing you of this reality. It's all designed to maintain fear, to maintain a sense of we're in an an emergency, because if we're not in an emergency, there's no need for emergency powers. So where is our leadership standing up for principles, for liberty of conscience, for truth, for saying no to coercive mandates, for not selling yourself for money's sake? Institutions, these institutions, and I'll tell you here in Chattanooga and some of them, some of the uh, healthcare workers, COVID recovered, safest people to have as your employee, are being threatened with termination if they don't get an injection that offers them no benefit and only risk. Why would they do that? Not only for their Medicare payments, because they're going to lose them if they don't, but because their risk managers are telling them, look, if you don't get these people vaccinated and somebody can associate that they contracted it in anywhere associated with the organization, they can sue us. And you as the leader go, well, yeah, I know, but, but they might sue us. But, but if we give it to all these people who are recovered and others, there's a high risk. They could, they could have an out, a bad outcome and there's actual data that some people are dying for. We may actually kill more people with the vaccine than, than, than we're protecting um, by, by mandating it. And the risk manager goes, well, that's okay. They can't sue you because it's CDC approved. They don't care if they kill people as long as they protect the institution. Sounds familiar. (laughs) Better that one man die than the nation. It's the same principle always. And so I am calling out leadership of these organizations to stand up for principles, stand up for truth, stand up for liberty, liberty of conscience. Don't embrace the, the, the governmental beastly systems of coercion. Leave people free to make up their own decision. You understand also, if you look at the data, which nation and which state have the lowest COVID transmissions? Africa and Florida. Sweden and Florida. Sweden, which never had masks or vaccine mandates, and Florida, which has the greatest uh, liberties that we still have in our country, have the lowest daily COVID rates in the world in Sweden and in the nation in Florida. Sweden did the herd mentality, didn't they? That's correct. And they haven't had any Delta breakouts. You look at all the rest of Europe, they have all these keep Delta cert. Sweden didn't have any. They did the herd immunity. Yeah, they, they, they simply allowed it to come through their country, treated people reasonably, and guess what? You have, you have COVID-recovered immunity now. So why are doctors saying that if you've had COVID, you still need to get the shot? Why are doctors saying that? Because most doctors um, have surrendered their thinking to the, to the government officials. Um, that I, I wrote a blog on this a few weeks ago, a month ago or so maybe. Um, understand, most practitioners in America do not do their own research. 
They do not actually evaluate evidence. What they do is they allow some third-party organization, whether it's their own professional society, to make a protocol or an algorithm for treatment. And the algorithm becomes the standard of care. And if you don't practice that algorithm, then you're an outlier and you will be examined. So what? And besides, they know more. They've studied. And if you're not an infectious disease specialist, you're an ophthalmologist, you're a primary care doctor, you're an internist, you're a psychiatrist. Well, who am I to be able to know about infectious disease? So I'll just trust CDC. They've got experts. So if the CDC recommends it, I just trust it. And so this is how healthcare is practiced in our country these days. Um, more, more doctors in America are now employed than our independent practitioners for the, for the first, since in the last 20 years, this has changed. It never used to be in 19, I think 88, 78% of doctors in America practice independently. Now less than 50% practice independently. So they have to, um, abide by their employers recommendations by their standards uh, and by then by these recommendations if the cdc comes down with a recommendation and you don't practice it but understand cdc recommendations are not science they're opinions of people who've read the science and have rendered their best expert opinion but remember through history uh, just go back to last century you will find for about a two decade period in america there was a debate in the science whether cigarettes called can- cause cancer or not and you will find articles published in scientific journals that denied cigarettes caused cancer just in the last century and there was a debate back and forth and what you will find is the doctors who smoked and the doctors who prescribed smoking for their lung disease were resistant to any evidence that it was harmful same you'll have today. Once the doctors have bought into the CDC mandate and taken it themselves and or recommended it to their patients, they have an internal uh, virtue where, and, and it's true, I don't know any doctors who want to harm their patients, not one. They all want to do what's best. And once they've bought into a certain treatment modality and information starts to be emerge that maybe they were harming their patients, they'll be resistant to believe it. They don't want to believe they were complicit in something that hurt their patients. And so they doubled down on trying to find evidence to prove that they were right. We also, none of us as human beings want to believe we could be fooled. So once we've also bought into a Ponzi scheme, and somebody says, oh, that's a Ponzi scheme, that's a, that's a shell thing, that's a whatever. Oh, no, you want to defend your investment, and you want to believe that what you did was right, and so you resist it until the thing collapses. This is just human nature. So there's a lot of forces at play as to why we're seeing doctors um, continuing to be complicit with this. But I, I, said, I said months ago, and I'll stand by it, Truth can afford to be fair. It loses nothing. True science, even, historically has always been, here's my understanding, here's my theory, here's my my study. I want others to, to examine it. I want others to put it to the test. If there's something wrong with it, if it doesn't work, find the errors in it. Uh, it's because truth can afford to be fair. It loses nothing by exam- examination. And the truth will, and you, the more you examine it, any errors or misconceptions will be cleaned out of it, and you get refined truth, refined treatments, and things improve. That's true science that's the truth of the gospel. And people who are lovers of the truth are not afraid to have their ideas questioned and examined. They want it refined. So the methods on the two questions of leaving people free to decide for themselves or mandating, notice the methods. Anybody who's raised questions has been silenced, censored, vilified. Uh, and, and, the, and so the methods being employed, all these methods that are contrary to God's kingdom are on one side of this equation. All of them. You don't find anybody like myself saying we should pass laws to make it illegal to give somebody a vaccine. <laughs> Why? We would never do that. We, we should pass laws to tell people who believe in the vaccines that they can't speak about it, print about it, or talk about it. We would never do that. You find these methods only on one side, and those methods alone should inform you there's something wrong with outside of it. Yes. I want to get back to Josiah, though. 
Yes. On the side of the, the doctors, they're so busy, they have to see patients so fast, it's like a cattle drive these days, so they don't have time to sit down and spend hours reading the literature. Sorry, just had No, 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 that's true, and that's part of the process as well, the, the part of the process, absolutely. So back to the quote. Um, Could it be that God was about to turn aside from his avowed purpose of bringing deliverance to those who should put their trust in him? In the face of the long-continued persecution of the righteous and of the apparent prosperity of the wicked, could those who have remained true to God hope for better days? What about today? You feeling that same pressure? Uh, you know what? We're going to lose prosperity. We, we might not be able to make our house payment. We might not be able to make our car payment. We, if, if we stay true to our conscience and, and don't go along, we might be terminated from job. Can we really hope that God can have a better day for us? These anxious questionings were voiced by the prophet Habakkuk. Viewing the situation of the faithful in his day, he expressed the burden of his heart with the inquiry, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Do we cry out to the Lord today because we look around and see on every news report increasing violence in our societies? Riots, mob, thieving, breaking into stores, uh, open attacks upon people just walking down the street. Continuing, why do you, and this is still quoting Habakkuk, uh, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. This was really uh, then? It's not today? Do you don't see this in our society today? Do we see society grossly doing, people in society doing gross illegal activities? and being praised by political leaders, protected by political cronies, and innocent people who stand up and, and try to protect others or call on, on others, uh, call out the, the crime, are, are vilified, are slandered, are prosecuted maliciously? Do we not see that happening in our society? Justice is being perverted. God answered the cries of his loyal children. Through his chosen mouthpiece, he revealed his determination to bring chastisement upon the nation that had turned from him to serve the gods of the heathen. They turned from him not merely in worship services. Get your mind around what I'm about to tell you. Their primary turning from God was in the implementation of anti-truth narratives. In their application, in practice, of selfishness and the exploitation of others, but calling it justice. In the lying, in the cheating, in the abuse of power. This was how they betrayed him. Much more so than simply uh, having some um, false idol set up that they worshipped. Do we see this today? Do we see an assault on truth in our society today? This assault on truth, all assaults on truth, understand, come from the father of lies. They all come from the father of lies. And it's designed, this assault on truth we're seeing in the world is designed to destroy your mind. It's designed to cause you to be confused. It's designed to cause you to surrender thinking. It's designed for, for, to stop critical reasoning, to just accept some authority who tells you what to do. Do you see that in our society today, the lies in the media are, are more intense than they've ever been? This is practicing principles that are contrary to God's government. 
This is a form of paganism or false worship when we find worthy of our investment, our time, our energy, and we practice ourselves these methods, this is a form of false worship. What's happening in the world? See what's happening. Almost everything being advanced by mainstream media today is contrary to God's kingdom of truth, love, and freedom. Almost everything. Its goal is to destroy godliness in people, to make us distrust and hate each other, to incite such fear and outrage that we will be willing to embrace Satan's methods in how we treat others. If you read my blog, King of the South, King of the North, King of the North, King of the South, King of the South represents godlessness, evolutionism, paganism. This is what King of the South represents. And it's making its final assault right now, according to that prophecy. It makes one last push, and then the King of the North storms out against and destroys And the king of the north is religious imperialism, conservatism that claims a belief in God, but will use coercive powers of the government to force its way. The the, the beautiful land, God's people, are in neither camp. They're caught in the middle. What's happening is you're seeing an outrageous push from godless forces in in the world. I say outrageous. It's designed to cause you to feel outrage. That's what it's designed for. It's purposeful. Satan is behind it. All this crazy stuff you see from the godless left is designed to take average people who most of the time would just live and let live. You want to do your thing, do your thing, I'm fine. Just leave me, let me live my life. But it's designed to push you to the point that you become outraged, angry, resentful, bitter, so that you'll be willing to join the king of the north when the king of the north comes into power and support the king of the north in using force coercive tactics in putting down the king of the south. Could you explain how you came to that conclusion that what was the king of the north and the south? I know you've done it before, but sometimes people might not heard that. So there's a blog, King of the North, King of the South, that is a lengthy blog that goes through the history of this, but the in Bible, the king of the south is represented by Egypt. Egypt, Pharaoh. Who is God that I should know him? Represents godlessness. King of the north is represented by both Babylon and Rome. Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, after the fiery furnace, comes to believe in Daniel's God and immediately says, passes a law, anybody who defames Daniel's God will be put to death. Immediately. And then Rome, again, imperial, religious imperialism through the Dark Ages, used the power of the state to put down heretics or anybody that questioned. So, so the king of the north is religious imperialism, using state to coerce or pressure a belief in Jesus or Christ or Daniel's God, whereas um, king of the south is godlessness uh, and paganism. Yes? The craziness that's going on right now, do they realize what they're doing? Uh, so, some of them do, but, but many are, are just pawns. Many just follow along because they're true believers. And they don't realize, they think it's actually right to do these things either side. But no, um, so, but some of them understand what they're doing for sure. Some of them do. What do they hope to gain? I mean, what are they, what are they after? Power. Yeah. Power, money, and control. Power, money, and control. Remember, Satan's kingdom. Satan, uh, is, if, you read, if you read Isaiah and Ezekiel, wanted to rise up and remove God and reign over. Satan's form of government is always a few ruling elites exploiting the masses for the benefit of the elites. All governments, all kingdoms of the world are his. You will look through history. Some are much more so than others. But in the end, they all end up having a few in power 
taking from the masses, taxing, whether it's slave, indentured servants, taxation, whatever it is, the masses are exploited for the benefit of the elites. God's government is just the opposite. Christ, who was equal to God, did not think equality with God was something to be grasped, but humbled himself into the form of a servant for the purpose of God giving of himself to lift up the masses. It's just the opposite form of government. So, continue with the quote. Confident that even in this terrible judgment, the purpose of God for his people would in some way be fulfilled, Habakkuk bowed in submission to the revealed will of Jehovah. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord God, my, my holy one? He exclaimed. And then in his faith reached out beyond the forbidding prospect of the immediate future and laying fast hold of the precious promises that God's love, that reveal God's love for his children, the prophet added, we shall not die. Do we have the same faith? Do we know that the events are going to get worse? And that the faithful God will not die? That Jesus will redeem us and we will inherit the earth? Think about it. Just think about it for a moment. Which nation on earth has a greater claim to God's protections Ancient Israel at the time of Habakkuk or the United States of America? Which nation on earth could more confidently say that they as a nation and a people were established specifically by God to carry out a purpose and could reasonably expect God's oversight and protective hand, the ancient Israel or the United States of America? Yet, this nation that Habakkuk is part of, who rightly can expect God's hand to be over... Habakkuk comes to acknowledge that God's going to withdraw his hand and the nation's going to be taken captive. Think that through. Do you understand what's setting up in our country through Christian organizations is this idea that we must use the methods of the world to take back the power and overthrow the godless in this country? So what was required for Habakkuk and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and others to not be discouraged and lose faith when the Babylonians came? To trust. They had to trust. They had to know the Lord for themselves, and they had to trust and not fight the enemy with worldly methods. Over and over again, Jeremiah kept saying, don't fight, don't fight. Don't fight. He wasn't talking about don't fight spiritually. He wasn't talking about don't fight with the sword of truth. Don't fight with love. Don't fight with... He was talking about don't fight with weapons of war that man uses. What about today? Continue with the quote. With this declaration of faith, he rested his case and that of every believing Israelite in the hands of a compassionate God. What? Do we see God's intervention to chastise and bring the Babylonians to haul them off into captivity the way Habakkuk did as the action of a compassionate God? What enabled Habakkuk or us to actually see God allowing or even bringing the Babylonians To take them captive is an act of compassion. 
because that's the only way that the Israelites would learn what he needed them to learn. He tried to teach them in every other way how to trust him, how not to turn to idolatry and so on. And so finally the Babylonians were his final effort to instruct them what life without God is like. Yes and more. Yes and more. And more. Yes and more. What happens to the human race, the entire species, if Jesus doesn't come? Doom. We all die. Not one person saved. Genesis 3.15, the promised Messiah is essential for any human to be saved. Who's the Messiah coming through? In, early in Genesis, God, God identifies it's Abraham, it's Isaac, it's Jacob's descendants. Satan doesn't have to target anymore the whole world like he did before the flood. He only has to target Abraham's descendants through Jacob now. If he can destroy them, he shuts down the plan. He's close. We just read 10 tribes are gone already. There's only two tribes left. He's close. He's close. I mean, think that through. 10 out of 12 gone. I don't know what the percentage there is, but really cutting it down. And these guys, we're just reading how they're apostatizing still. They won't stay faithful. So God allows this to happen because he wants to not only teach these individuals and these genetic descendants, he wants to save us all. And it worked. So if you had a loved one who had diabetes and had a gangrenous foot and you were a surgeon, would amputating the foot be an assault against them, a violent act, or an act of compassion. But you're cutting off a foot with a sharp instrument. I'm sure it was painful to do. It hurt. Wasn't it cruel of you to do it? Somebody not understanding the dynamics and circumstances of what's happening there might conclude that you're a butcher. You butcher your own family. This is how many read the Old Testament. This was not Habakkuk's only experience with the exercise of strong faith. On one occasion, when mediating, excuse me, when meditating concerning the future, he said, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see uh, what he will say unto me. Have you decided to stand upon your watch, to be a sentinel of truth? to stand in the breach and oppose the lies, the false narratives, uh, the perversions of godly justice, the corruption that's, that's uh, the reality now in our society that's advancing? Are you, are, you, are you refusing to bow the knee to social pressures, to the God of false science, the political correctness and political powers that are compelling and coercing people? Continue with the quote. Graciously the Lord answered, write the vision and make it plain upon the tables that he may run that reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though, ter- though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Are you willing to be one of the just? The just who, in governance of self, choose what is right or just. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on the plains of Dura, they had one decision, bow or not bow. Decisions in governance of self. They had no choice to control how events would turn out afterward. 
The just choose in governance of self to do what they know is right for them to do in governance of self. They make the just a right choice. And then the just live by faith. They live by trusting God with how it will turn out. That's what it means. We do in governance of self what we know is right and trust God with the outcome. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to Nebuchadnezzar, O great king, we know that our God can deliver us from the fire, but even if he doesn't, we won't bow. They had no word from God that he would deliver them. They just knew it was right for them not to bow. They trusted him with their lives. They trusted him enough to say, Lord, if it works for your purpose, for us to be like, and they didn't know about this, we're looking back and reading in now, but us to be like Stephen, who gets stoned and was not delivered, we're willing to give our life to the cause. For Job, it said, though he slay me, he slay me. Yes. Well, I trust him. Yes. And so Job says, I trust you enough, Lord, that if it's in your interest that you take my life right now and put me to sleep in the grave, it's good with me. I'm okay with that. The faith that strengthened Habakkuk and all the holy and the just in those days of deep trial was the same faith that sustains God's people today. Do we have this faith? Are we exercising this faith? Or are we listening to the roar of God's enemy and allowing fear and the survival drives to motivate us to take matters into our own hands, to seek to force others to do what we want so that we can feel safe. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I've said this before, I, I pray and I ask God to pour out into me that strength of faith. I don't know. I've never faced that circumstance. I fear knowing how f- strong fear is in me that I would not have the strength to stand, that I would calculate the odds, And I would look at my friends next to me, and I would say to my friends next to me, we can't bow, we just can't do it, can't can't compromise. But Fiery Furnace is not on the agenda. I know when the music plays, let's tie our shoes. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. He knows I'm only tying my shoe. I can't help it if these people think I'm bowing. Isn't that how we roll? And if they would have done that, and who knows, there could have been other Israelites that did that very thing. They weren't bowing, they were just adjusting their sandals. But if they all did that, who would have been called in front of Nebuchadnezzar? Who would have had an opportunity to go in the fire? Who would have had an opportunity for Jesus to stand with them in the, in the flames and witness and bring over Nebuchadnezzar? He wants people of faith who can stand in the face of the fires. I pray to have that faith. I'm not going to claim that I, I possess it. I, I, I hope, I, I actually pray I never have to face that, honestly. That's what I really pray for. I think it's kind of interesting that the fire only, uh, only uh, burned or destroyed two things. Destroyed the ropes that bound them and destroyed the people who threw them in. That's good. That's good. That's a good lesson there too. Uh, in the darkest hours, under circumstances the most forbidding, the Christian believer, the Christian believer, may keep his soul stayed upon the source of all light and truth. Excuse me, all light and power. Day by day, through faith in God, his hope and courage may be renewed. 
the just shall live by faith. This is a daily renewal. Day by day, we are to put our lives into his hands and receive his strength. In the service of God, there need be no despondency, no wavering, no fear. The Lord will more than fulfill the highest expectations of those who put their trust in him. He will give them the wisdom their varied necessities demand. We must cherish and cultivate the faith of which prophets and apostles have testified, the faith that lays hold of the promises of God and waits for deliverance in his appointed time and way. Do you see? This is exactly the opposite of the ways of the world. The ways of the world do not trust in God and do not wait on God to provide or deliver. The ways of the world is we must make our own way. We must force our way. We must use might and power to get our way. We must compel others to comply with our way. But the righteous present the truth in love and leave people free. Every person be fully persuaded in their own mind, Romans 14, 5. The sure word of prophecy will meet its final fulfillment in the glorious advent of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. We are entering the final movements right now, I believe. I'm convinced that this is the final movements that, that the Adventist church was called to prepare the world for. You said Adventist church a few times. What do you mean? What is an Adventist church? I could give you... 20 examples of people who claim membership in the administration system called Adventists, Seventh-day Adventists. But are they Adventists? Do they speak for me? You see, in 1900s, in Germany, there was a division president, and he declared under the authority of the General Conference, because he was Vice President of the General Conference, that every German must fight the war, First World War, in honor of the Kaiser. 20,000 Adventists, in those days that was tremendous number, were disfellowshipped from the church because they would not serve in the army of the Kaiser. After the war, uh, if you remember... Yes, my memory goes back that far. <laughs> After the war, the General Conference to Germany kicked the division president out of office. But they have not readmitted the 20,000 Adventists back into the church. And they became the Reformed Adventists. And so are we talking about Reformed Adventists, ex-Adventists, ex-professors, ex-theologians? Who is representing us? Oh, I think these are great questions. I think these are great questions. I, I get this. I get this type of a of a of a concern without the historical references. I love those historical references. Thank you for that. Um, quite frequently, and the analogy I give: two thousand years ago, Jesus came to Earth. 
and was part of the Jewish national and religious system. But when Jesus began to his ministry and began his teaching and preaching, it was suddenly discovered that there was at least two forms of Judaism. There was Judaism represented by the Sadducees and Pharisees, and there was a Judaism lived out by Jesus. One was a true Judaism, one was a false Judaism. One was loyal to God in heaven and loved other people more than self. One was loyal to the system and willing to sacrifice people, including the Messiah, to protect the system. I think the same thing is true in Adventism, that there are two Adventisms. There is an Adventism that's representative of Jesus and his methods and his principles and his calling to people to prepare their hearts and minds to see him, for when he comes we will be like him. And then there's an Adventism that's loyal to the system, to the organization, that's willing to sacrifice people in order to protect its, its reputation and its name and its properties, that's willing to practice methods that are no different than the methods of the beast, just like the Jewish nation, that doesn't disavow the fact that the Jewish nation was God's called people for a ministry and a purpose. I believe the Adventist system or church organization was called for a purpose, but I believe just because it was called for a purpose, just like the Jewish nation, Satan made special effort to infect that system with his leaders that would corrupt it with a penal legal view of reality. And I believe our church was purposely corrupted with a penal legal view of reality that dominates the system. But within the system of of the Jewish nation came not only the Messiah, but came the apostles that led to the whole Christian dispensation or the church built on the foundation of the apostles with Christ as chief cornerstone. And so I believe out of the Adventist membership are going to come the, the, the people who are like the remnant of Israel who stayed faithful and loyal and will give the final message of mercy that prepares the world for Christ to come. Who is the faithful one? Habakkuk, the righteous, or God? In the text it says, the righteous will live by his faith. Whose faith? It's a cooperative faith. God is faithful, and we cooperate and receive the gift of faith, and we exercise our faith back in him. It's a cooperative faith. We live by God's faithfulness to his promise. That's true. Not by our faith. Our faith has no power to do anything, just like the law has no power to do anything. So, you know the New Testament Greek. The the word faith is is the P-I-S-T-I-S, from which we also get trust or belief. But trust in somebody else's activity. Yeah. So can God's power work in somebody who doesn't trust him? Can God's power heal the heart, mind, write the law upon the heart, mind, give a new heart and right spirit to someone who does not trust him? So it is correct. It's God's faithfulness and his power that does all the healing, but it only does all the healing in those who trust him. One more. Okay. (laughs) Now, this is good. I'm enjoying this. Yeah, yeah. There were many Jews in the plain of Dura, There were governors, high priests, including the king of Judah, right there standing next to those three guys. They knew each other. 
notice to give those three men freedom to declare their position. God took them out of Judah into Babylon. It was not to punish them, but to save them. Daniel could never have been a prophet in Judah. God had to take him to Babylon to give him freedom to become a witness for God. Oh, I like that. That's good. And these are the trials and, and tribulations that Paul talks about that help build character. It's the opportunities. This is what we're facing. Right now, the Lord is allowing these events to unfold on, upon the earth so that every person is faced with a decision. You can use the metaphor of the, of the idol and bowing or not bowing, but we won't have a, a 90-foot-tall idol. We will have a decision on what methods, law, if you will, we're willing to internalize and then choose to practice in how we treat other people. Well, we treat other people as the, remember the sheep and the goats? When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, when I was in prison, when I was sick, you, and so forth. Uh, we, as you do it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. Uh, when I was this, and that, you didn't do any of this unto me. These are the goats. When, as we, the law that we apply in our own hearts and how we treat other people, identifies with which kingdom that we live for. The kingdoms of this world, which are Satan's, or the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of truth, love, and liberty. We don't have the power to change ourselves, but we have the power of choice. We can choose with whom we align, with who we give our hearts devotion, with who we trust. And then when we make those choices, a supernatural power empowers us, enlightens us, enables us, recreates and restores within us a new heart and right spirit. But we have to make those choices. And if we allow fear instead to drive us to act selfishly, we will practice the methods of the world which will seem just and right to those who believe in imperial systems. It's just and right to kill so that you're not killed. Boy, there's several uh, more sections of this quote. Um, I'm going to try to get, get, get through it at least. The time of waiting may seem long. Does the time of waiting for the second coming seem long? The soul may be oppressed by discouraging circumstances. Many in whom confidence has been placed may fall by the way. But with the prophet who endeavored to encourage Judah in the time of unparalleled apostasy, let us confidently declare the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Let us ever hold in remembrance the cheering message. The vision is yet for the appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though tarry, it, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry the just shall live by faith. We are living at the time of our heavenly high priest cleansing his sanctuary, cleansing his people to meet him face to face. The time will not tarry. It will come. It's a time of the end. We're in that time right now. I'm convinced of that. Will we present the truth, leave others free, and see, this is where godly mechanisms protect you. We are not responsible to have every fact or detail correct. When Jesus comes 
and all the righteous are lofting into heaven to meet him, there will not be one human being in the saved that knows every detail of Scripture correctly. It's not about having every detail or fact right, but there won't be one person in the saved who would be willing to coerce and compel others to believe the way they do. The issue is the method. We present the truth as we currently understand it in the most loving ways that we can, but we leave people free, every person to be persuaded in their own mind. The lost are those who think it's righteous to burn people at the stake, to imprison people, to take away their medical licenses, to tell them they can't leave their houses, to compel and coerce, to force them into compliance. This is the big difference. And so the righteous person may not be right on a scientific fact, but they leave people free to make up their own decisions. So a righteous person would say, back in last century, a righteous person could say, I think these cigarettes are really going to help your lungs. And another righteous person say, I think these cigarettes are going to cause cancer. But I'm going to leave it up to you to decide. I'm not going to force you either way. Here's why I believe it's helpful. Here's why I believe it's harmful. The righteous person may not have the scientific fact right, but they have the method right. Truth presented in love, leaving free, and because we're finite, we might believe something to be true that ultimately turns out to be false, but when we love truth, we'll be corrected when we have enough evidence to show us that our previous belief was false. That's the difference. We grow in the truth. Habakkuk was not the only one through whom, through whom was given a message to, uh, of hope, of bright hope and future triumph, as well as present judgment. During the reign of Josiah, the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, specifying plainly the results of continued apostasy and calling the attention of the true church to the glorious prospects beyond. His prophecies of impending judgment upon Judah apply with equal force to the judgments that are to fall upon the impenitent world at the time of the second advent of Christ. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry, there bitterly, the day, that day is a day of wrath. What is God's wrath? Letting people go. Because people insist on denying God, on doing it their own way, so God lets them go, lets them reap what they've chosen. Are we living in a world today in which people deny God, insist on going their own way? Humanism, evolution, evolutionism, godlessness is being embraced like never before, and hearts are hardening against God. And where is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit on earth? We are the dwelling place, and when hearts by the billions harden against God, God's presence is slowly withdrawn, Satan gets greater and greater access and control on the planet, and society begins to devolve into chaos. We see more violence, we see more bitterness, we see more division, we see more hostility, we see more economic collapse, we see all kinds of things going crazy. I'm going to have to jump down. Um, A long list of other distresses that come, uh, and then it talks about... um, It says, I will bring distress upon men that they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Do you see distress happening? And do you see blindness by so many people in leadership? Political leaders that are blind, science and medical leaders, church leaders, blind. Why are they blind? Because they deny design law. They embrace imperialism. 
and they cannot see cause and effect, how reality actually works. Save the light for darkness. And then neither, and listen to this next, right after their blindness. It said, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. The day when the Lord lets them reap what they've chosen, okay? Are we seeing this? Has any nation in history spent more money than our Congress has just passed to, quote, build back better? (laughs) You understand it's not getting better. This actual spending bill to build back better will make it worse. It cannot help but make it worse because they actually aren't spending real substantive something with it. They just printed it. They digitally just created it. They're flooding it into the market, which only causes everything, uh, the, 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 dollar, the value of the dollar to, to fall. So everything now costs more. So the people that get hurt the most are the, the poorest in our society. Everything's going to cost more. You see inflation going everywhere. It's going to get worse, not better. You can't print money and spend your way out of this problem. It's a problem of character, methods, and motives. And, and, and But this is purposeful. This is not accidental. This is done with intention to crash the system. This is done with intention to make the most poor and even the middle poor dependent upon the government. Because... This godless group that leads does not see people as individuals made in the image of God that are valuable as individuals. They see people as commodities to be exploited and used and controlled for their own power purposes. That's what's happening. Boy, I didn't even get to, I wanted to go into Deuteronomy chapter 10, 12 through 15. I had some, well, we we're going to read that and do some commentary on that. And we were going to go into Jeremiah 7, 1 through 7. It's all in the notes. And we're going to go into Micah 6. All this is in the notes. And we were going to just do the same thing we just did with this quote, break it out and do commentary. So if you get the notes, go online. Our notes are up every week and you'll see the, the actual Bible text and you'll see my comments as we just discuss it like we've done here. Um, and my comments are in red. Let's go ahead and close with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love, for your methods and principles, for the way you run your universe, for the liberties you've given us. We ask that you will continue to lead us in the way everlasting. Uh, Open the avenues for this final message to go forward. Hold back the forces that would impair your final message. And may the world be lightened and you come soon. We pray in your holy name. Amen.